everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Okay, let's continue and perhaps wrap up our recent mini-series about uh, smaller uh, focused skills in bedside procedures and particularly central line placement. Looking today at finishing up, uh, arranging and dressing and securing your line. This may seem sort of unexciting, but it's a little like climbing Everest. Uh, Sometimes the most dangerous or error-prone part is on the descent. So... Let's talk about first where you locate your lines because this pertains to how they dress. Uh, It may seem like where you stick the skin mostly is relevant to the technical considerations like how easy it is to get in the vessel, but it also affects how it ends up looking. For example, if you're placing an IJ and you choose to stick very high on the neck, which sometimes looks easiest because uh, the vein and artery may be furthest apart, uh, you may find that when you go to dress it, it is very untidy. You're very close to hair on the head, to the ear, uh, to maybe secretions from the mouth, to ties for things like an endotracheal tube. And it's kind of annoying to do because it's more and more sideways instead of more flat. And I have to think that as the patient turns their head left and right, it tends to piston that line in and out more. I try to stick IJs as low as possible, meaning as close as possible to the clavicle. As you get lower down here, the skin gets more and more flat and horizontal. You get away from beards, you get away from the mouth. It looks more and more like a subclavian. And a subclavian is always the cleanest dressing site. Uh, It is just a a pleasure to do and a pleasure to dress, and it's a completely flat, tidy surface. So that is ideal for the eventual results. Now, the one caveat is the lower you stick for your IJs, the closer you are to the lung. So a very low one does create some risk for pneumothorax, similar to a subclavian, although probably not as much. Uh, If you're very close, then you also may find that as you track your needle in, you eventually lose sight of it because your beam hits clavicle. So maybe you don't want to stick so close that you can't complete the procedure without it becoming blind. What about femorals? If you place your femline very close to the crease of the hip, that is probably the worst dressing site, although it is technically, again, probably easier to do. It's the most superficial here by far, and it is the biggest vessel. And for bigger lines or really technically tough ones, you probably should put it here. But if you can get it even a few centimeters distal down the leg, Usually, it looks much better when you dress it. You get away from the urine and stool of the groin. You get away from hair there. If there's a good-sized panis, you may be able to get outside of where that falls, so it's a less moist, warm site. Um, and it just you kind of find a, a nice, flat, tidy surface for this thing to dress on. Again, it does become technically harder. The vessels dive deep very quickly after they leave the hip there. Uh, And it does become smaller, although typically they're still big enough. But you wouldn't want to put a a really big line distal like this. It should go into the biggest vessel, the common femme. And you should look and see how deep it is to see, is it so deep you're going to be hard to visualize your needle? And even if you can get in, is it so deep that you're not going to have enough catheter after you traverse the sub-Q? I've even seen distally placed central lines extravasate 
in very big patients. So give it some thought, but even at just two, three centimeters away from that crease often looks much better. Subclavians are pretty much always nice looking. That's why they're so great. Okay, what about securing your line before you dress? Most people are still suturing these, although there are sutureless securing devices like stat locks, which can be pretty good. Uh, you avoid more punctures of the skin with a suture needle, um, and by and large, they're secure. On clean, dry skin, they actually probably retain more force than sutures. That's at least what the company says, and I think it's true. You can tear out sutures if you try. Uh, the only caveat is on really kind of moist body skin, and you know some patients are always moist, like they have a lot of edema, so they always ooze out of punctures. Maybe they don't stick so well, but consider using them, especially in someone who's like really coagulopathic and every needle stick is going to end up bleeding. But if you're suturing, how do you go about it? If you are going to leave more than, I don't know, a couple centimeters of catheter outside the skin, you're going to need to secure it at the skin as well as through sutures at the hub. Usually this would be because to get the right depth, you can't hub the line. Most places carry a couple at most lengths of line, one like 15, 16 centimeters and a longer one, 20, 21 centimeters. Long ones being used for like maybe the left of the IJ, left subclavian and then FEMS um, and the shorter one for the right side. That's fine, but you know, they're not ideal lengths and you may find for instance that 20 whatever centimeters is a little long for maybe your, your low stick left IJ in a smaller patient. I'll usually do maybe 18 centimeters there. Now, if it's not ideal, you could just hub the thing and accept that it's gonna be deep or use a shorter one, except it's gonna be high, that may be okay. But if you wanna get it right, then you leave some catheter out. But if you're gonna leave more than a couple centimeters out, you gotta realize that even if it's secured at the hub, this thing could still pretty easily come out. And this would probably be during a dressing change by a nurse when all you have to do is kind of pull at the exposed part of the catheter or maybe twist the thing and the entire thing could flop out even though it's still secured at the hub. You gotta secure it at the skin. And that's what most kits have a, a little, little device for, a little clippy thing, that's what I call it. It's two pieces, a little rubber piece that just snaps onto the catheter at the skin and then a hard plastic piece that snaps over it and once it's on, there's enough friction that you can't pull the catheter through it. Do this right at the skin and then also suture the hub. Do both. This provides friction, but uh, if you yanked on the thing, you can still pull it out because it's not that much. So you, you kind of want both. One style maneuver here, if you have time, is that instead of snapping both pieces over each other and then suturing through both sides, put the rubber piece on, suture through one side of that only, snap the plastic over it, and then suture through both pieces on the other side. Now, if you x-ray this thing and you find that your line is too deep and you wanna retract it, all you need to do is take down the dressing if you've dressed it, unsnap the plastic piece because it's loose on one side, hinge it over the single suture, and then you can retract your line through it because it's no longer holding the catheter. Then swing it back over and snap it on without ever having to cut any sutures. You know, you don't have to do this a lot, but it's kind of nice when it does happen. Bearing in mind that if you retracted a great deal, you may still have to cut the sutures at the hub unless you can find something to do with all that slack. Um, but sometimes it's nice. 
you should probably aim in general to have your lines a little bit more deep than a little bit more high because it's much easier to retract it than to advance it, which would involve rewiring. Or, as we've described before, x-ray it before you break down your sterile site. Just have them slip under the drape and then you don't have to go back in here. And then because you're still sterile, you can advance it. If you don't have a clippy thing, and some triple lumen kits don't have them, uh, but you'll infrequently see them for a lot of other catheters like dialysis catheters, uh, you're kind of out of luck. What you could do in a pinch is secure this thing as you might secure a, a chest tube. Kind of take a bite next to the puncture site and then just wrap the tails around a catheter like a Roman sandal. Wrap them a few times in each direction, cinch it down until it's just snug and holding by friction, and then knot it off. That works reasonably well. The other thing you should consider doing as you suture is instead of taking a bite directly through the skin and then feeding it through the hub of the catheter and knotting it, uh, take a bite through the skin and then first tie an air knot. So a knot that's through nothing, just the skin. And then once that's snug, put the tails of that knot through the catheter and tie a second knot. What's the point of this? Well, if you tie directly to the catheter, first of all, it can be pretty obnoxious to remove later because it gets pulled so tight against the skin. Second of all, if you knot tightly enough, you can actually snug this thing down into the skin so hard you can cause a little bit of tissue ischemia. Not a huge deal, but it's possible. If you first tie an air knot, it leaves a, some space. It keeps your knot away from the actual skin. Then you, when you knot to the catheter, you can tie as tight as you want and it won't touch the skin. And it's always very easy to remove because there's room. The best way to do this is loosely tie your first throw and then put a spacer of some kind in there that you can knot onto, cinch it down to as tight as you want, and then once you just slip it out, you'll have the right space. The best one in a central line kit is just to use your dilator. That's the ideal size. Uh, if you've dropped that, um, the little plastic sleeve that covers one of the needles is about the right size. This is a small thing, but it actually is a lot easier to do this with the spacer. If you don't have one, you can do it by tying your first throw with a a good space above the skin, and then with each additional throw, sort of cinching it a little tighter, a little tighter, so that by the last one, it no longer slips. Um, but honestly, it never works out quite as well. Uh, use a spacer if you can. And then just pass your needle through the hole of your, uh, your hub, and then tie that. Uh, best way to do this, grab the tip of your curved needle with your needle driver, pass the butt up through the hole, then you can grab the butt with your fingers, not worry about grabbing the tip as you would have if you had passed it the other way. Uh, this is a one of those nice things to do style points, but I think it does make a big difference if you have time. If you're in a rush, then you don't have to. Uh, the only other caveat is if you're using the clippy thing, then you're tying four knots, and with the air knots, you're tying eight knots. And if you are profligate with your suture, you may run out. So, you know, be efficient and pull it most of the way through before you make your knots. There is a little ridge on the hub of many central lines, some arterial lines, which uh, is intended for, usually there's also two holes, in the hub that you can knot directly to. But if you want to make a third knot, you can tie it over onto this just by friction, kind of like the little groove in many radial arterial lines, and it creates a third point. 
you don't have to do this. Some people really like it. What it prevents is kind of what I describe when you leave Slack. If you sort of rotate or pivot the hub where it's sutured at the two sides, you can draw the catheter out of the skin. And if you really went nuts, maybe you can come all the way out, even though it's still attached at those two points. With three points, it can't really turn. I never really found this worth my time. Again, I think the most important thing is if you have any real slack out using the little clip, uh, but some people are really into it. You can if you want. All right, what about the actual dressing? Your goal here is to leave a, a dressing that is clean and as sterile as possible and completely adherent and occlusive. This, I think, makes a big difference for a line that's sterile and doesn't develop collapses. Um, and, you know, you leave and then no one knows what happened during the line, but they know how it looked and everyone's going to go, hey, that guy, he does nice lines. If there is significant hair, you should clip it. Beard hair, groin hair, body hair, there's a lot of it. No dressing will ever stick. Uh, this should be done with electric clippers, and it should be done, of course, before the procedure, immediately before. Um, it's not so much about sterility during the procedure. It's about this step, the dressing. Clip it short. Usually use some tape, any kind, to just remove the bits of hair, which are actually pretty obnoxious and difficult to get rid of otherwise, and then do your usual prep. I will always, when I'm getting ready to clean up, use some moistened gauze to get rid of dried blood, and usually there's ultrasound gel too. Don't use a chlorhexidine sponge, it'll just fill up with blood right away. Use some gauze first, scrub everything off, and then your last step should be chlorhexidine. You want everything to look as sterile as possible under this dressing once you get it occlusive. Once you've done that, wait for it to dry. This is probably the most important step for getting an adherent dressing. The difference between a dry-ish skin and a bone-dry surface is big, and it just takes time waiting, longer than you'd think. Use this time to clean up your kit, get rid of your sharps, whatever. I usually find it's hard to dress a site with a drape in place, so I just cover the site with some gauze and then carefully remove the drape around it. Ideally, you could do it with the drape on. It's probably just a bit more sterile, but it's really hard to get it looking good, so I make that compromise. Your last step should probably be skin prep, if you can. Um, any kind of sticky skin prep helps your dressings. You can use tincture of benzoin. You can use these various proprietary ones in kits. Whatever. But if you have something, use it, again, once your skin has dried. Now, if you clean the skin and get it close to sterile, and you come back a few hours later and swab it, you'll find that there are bacteria there. And that's because... The skin is not a hard, non-porous surface, it's layers. And there are bacteria that are submerged in the deeper layers of epidermis that will eventually push out to the surface and contaminate your surface. If you really wanna keep the area under your dressing as close to sterile as you can, you need a continuous process of cleaning it. And uh, that's why they have these various devices now that sort of soak chlorhexidine, leach it out to the site. Um, you'll find Biopatches is the brand name, It'll chlorhexidine impregnated sponges that go around the site. The way to apply this is you need it to surround the catheter, not just lay on top. Um, it can be hard to get it to kind of push under the catheter, which might be quite tight against the skin. The way to do it is to slip your needle driver or forceps under the catheter and then pull out the arm of the bio patch so that it's underneath. Um, there are also chlorhexidine impregnated dressings and you don't need a second step at all. 
You should do this as the last step after cleaning, after cleaning the skin, letting everything dry. You don't want to soak gross stuff into the bio patch. Um, do it before you prep the skin with sticky stuff though. Then your dressing. The best dressings are the ones that allow you to kind of surround the catheter tails. If it just lays flat on top, it's always trying to kind of peel as you lift the end of it. And you just kind of lift up the tails and peer under. You see there's a little, little tunnel there for bacteria. So a good dressing has a kind of slit to surround the sides and then a second piece that comes in from the other side and straddles it to create kind of a tunnel. That really helps a lot for helping that end of it stick down. The other thing that helps a lot is how you arrange your catheter. So taking an IJ for example, if you stick in and then you dress it the exact same angle as you stuck, when you sit the patient up, the tails are going straight into their face. And then as you hang IVs on the end, and then there's gravity pulling, they're gonna be constantly trying to pull that line down and peel the dressing off. That's the way IJs with adherent dressings are almost the rarity. The better way to do this, as you arrange your line to suture it, and then when you apply your dressing, is to try to dress it more sideways or even downward. You could even put a, almost a full 180 turn in the catheter so that the tail of it is pointing towards the feet and then dress it. Or if that's hard to do, at least towards the side. Kind of dress it out sideways onto the supraclavicular fossa, uh, kind of like a subclavian would look like, although higher up. And this really makes a huge difference once it's dressed and they're sitting up. These tend to stay stuck on and lay nice and flat. Again, away from the face, away from secretions. You may say, well, I can't put a bend in my line. That's going to make it not work right, but it works fine, especially something small bore like a triple lumen. Even a 180 is usually okay. Leave a little bit of slack in the line so you can make the turn. It could be as little as half a centimeter, or you can bring out more if you want. If you want to put in a long catheter in the right IJ, for instance, you'll have tons of slack, although you'll have to use the clippy thing. But even if it's hub and that's the right depth, without changing the depth, you could just bring out a tiny bit of catheter to make your turn, and that's no problem. Now, something thicker, like a dialysis catheter, yeah, you shouldn't put a big bend because it may affect flow, and it's just so stiff you probably can't. The most you could do is a kind of gentle bend to get it away from the face and kind of dress more towards the side of the neck. For femmes and subclavians, usually no problem there. They're already facing in a nice direction. You can put a, a bit of a downward angle on your subclavian so they're pointing more downwards than upwards. That may help. 